low win rates, excessive discounting, challenging negotiations. Welcome to the Sales Readiness Podcast, a podcast brought to you by the Sales Readiness Group. We're an industry-leading sales training company that helps businesses develop highly effective sales organizations. This podcast is about one question, how to transform your team into big performers. If you want the answer, keep listening. If you want it faster, visit salesreadinessgroup.com slash podcast. We're going to start just talking about how we've seen sales training change and also a little bit of the background with training industry as well uh, and, and use that as a backdrop for discussion with the audience. We'll also uh, talk about creating that engaging uh, training experience. So in terms of what can we do to make training even more engaging, especially in this uh, virtual or hybrid world that we're, we're living in today. Uh, and then we're going to talk a little bit more about this idea of collaborative learning. So what we call CLX, the collaborative learning experience. And there are certainly learning experience platforms out there. It's kind of an emerging area, but why that produces better outcomes and what we can learn from uh, some of the case studies and examples that, uh, that we'll share uh, and then wrap it up with some key takeaways. So just to kick this off, we'd love to get feedback from the group. This is a question we've been asking a lot of our clients, and it's really, um, you know, thinking ahead over the next six months or so, um, you know, what are what are you thinking? What are you seeing in terms of your organization's planned work environment? So do you see it purely as a remote? They're going to continue to be remote and virtual. Uh, is there some hybrid uh, option? And we're seeing that, I think, where people are coming back a few days a week or planning to come back. A few days. Certainly, some organizations are saying, "No, we're going to be back in the office." You know, whether that's September first or at some point, uh, or maybe still figuring it out, right? Uh, kind of waiting and seeing and uh, letting things maybe evolve a little bit over the next few months. But um, you know, Norman, it'll be interesting to get the results. We'll keep this open just a, a few seconds more. I appreciate uh, training industry for opening this up for us. Um, but I'd be curious to see what uh, what the audience has to say. What are your guesses? You know, I think that what I'm, I'm guessing will come up the most is probably hybrid. I think that, you know, there's no clear path forward. We thought we're kind of emerging from COVID. I think we are, but, you know, there's all, obviously news a lot about variants. Not all countries are in the same place, let's say necessarily on a global uh, standard. So we work with a lot of global companies and just how those co co countries are emerging from COVID varies from location to location. So I'm expecting that we'll see B, but I've been surprised on these uh, polls before. I think most importantly, it really impacts how we train in the future. And I think that that's the, some of the changes during COVID, and we'll talk more about this later, are really, I think, for the better. So obviously, the pandemic wasn't for the better. But I think some of the things we learned about how people engage and how they train can really improve uh, training experiences. So I think if we can share the poll results, and yep. I guess I wasn't too far off. I think that's kind of what we're saying in the press. Hybrid is what we're doing at SRG and what we're saying. Ray, any any additional thoughts on this? Well, I think what, what's a really interesting takeaway uh, from this is 85% of the audience, if I'm uh, looking at this uh, correctly, is saying they'll either continue remote or some remote plus hybrid. So I think that means you know virtual in some way is here to stay. And we also need to be probably a little bit more flexible about our delivery methods uh, and, and how that's gonna evolve. And again, that's the next six months, who knows what the year after that, but I think it's certainly consistent with what we're seeing with our clients, which 
is, yeah, we'd like to do some things in person, but we're not really sure, or maybe we're going to kick off in person, but boy, we're going to do a lot more, even virtual sales kickoff meetings, you know, that we saw a lot of those this this past year, starting things off, SKOs or annual meetings or trade shows that are some combination of uh, remote or or blend. Yeah, so I think that's, that's really interesting because, as you mentioned, SKOs, a number of companies were also using collaborative learning for their SKOs. And I think that that's some, although we're going to apply it more from a training perspective, as we share more about what collaborative learning looks like, uh, if there are virtual SKOs occurring as companies start to launch their years, whenever their fiscal years begin, I think many of the things we're sharing would apply to the uh, annual sales kickoffs as well. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, from a training delivery standpoint, what's interesting, looking at some of the training industry research here, and uh, Ken Taylor was nice enough to share this with us. This is some updated research uh, the training industry has done. Looking at delivery methods um, as they've evolved over the last, you know, 18 months, two years or so. So before COVID, not surprisingly, very large percentage, 40 plus percent uh, was instructor led in person. And obviously that shifted dramatically, um, you know, February, March of 2020. And this is over the past year. What we saw is a much bigger increase in VILT and e-learning. So now representing over 50% of the market, or sorry, over 70% of the market as opposed to 50% uh, at, at, or, or of the delivery methods. Um, and there's still some ILT in there. I mean, we know that uh, some people were still making it happen, or maybe they had a few events early or later. Um, but you know, there's still some preference for that, uh, and then you know, other methods in there. I think what's really interesting is if we're looking at this predicted at the end of the year, and this is consistent, I think, with what our audience said about their return to work, is it's going to be a mix. So ILT creeping back up, but not to where it was pre-COVID. And virtual still remaining strong, right? Remaining a, a larger percentage. And so I think the takeaway message here is, boy, that's actually a pretty even pie now if we look at 26, 36, 33. So, you know, kind of split between some e-learning, but really between VILT and ILT. And as we'll talk about, well, what does that look like when you put those together in a blended or collaborative learning experience? So just kind of building on the um, the research from training industry, it actually gets to the perceived effectiveness of each of the uh, modality. And I think this was really interesting to me because if we look at the top two on the job training and, you know, on the job coaching, it really gets to, you know, skill application and adoption. People are really looking for a way to take what they, the knowledge they have or the skills they, they learn. And the best way to do that is on the job. So whether that's, you know, working with a mentor, working with a coworker, or maybe getting coaching from your manager, those have the highest level of effectiveness because you're applying and adopting the skill at the same time. ILT continues to uh, pull very well. People are, have grown up learning in classrooms. Uh, one of the things that ILT has a real benefit is you don't have the distractions on VILT. Uh, quite often, people can go and start, uh, you know, especially if it's a large group, checking out a little bit, maybe checking their, uh, you know, their texts or responding to emails. And ILT, much easier to make eye contact and create a level of engagement. The If we look at the bottom of the chart, I think when we think about the effectiveness from training, webinars are not very effective. And we saw this ourselves a little bit as we've started to first get into, uh, you know, the pandemic. 
many of our clients are saying, can you run large group sessions? And you know, we wanted to run those sessions. We're also very clear that webinars are much better for sharing information like we're doing now, helping people really think through issues, maybe respond to some issues. But if we're actually going to focus on behavior change, uh, at least VILT, where we went to small groups, and for us, VILT might be a group of under 16 people, can be very effective. The interesting thing that we'll get to later is in collaborative learning, that group size can go way up. So you can actually train at scale with collaborative learning. But it's interesting to me, just kind of the perceived effectiveness or lack of effectiveness of webinars. And we share that. We think it's a great way to share information, um, but not necessarily to train. I think what it also points out here is that blended learning is going to work best. There's no single uh, bar here that's showing 80% or 90%. So that, the, the idea is how do we combine these areas so we get a variety of ways to engage, interact, and let people apply and adopt the skills that they're learning. And so we've always been big fans of blended learning. And then as we'll share with you, we think collaborative learning goes one, much one step further, maybe more than one step further than blended learning in the way that it actually integrates, as opposed to just having separate components, the components are actually integrated into an overall solution. So really nice. We do want to just uh, shout out again to training industry for providing us with this information and allowing us to share this information. We think it's great research. Yeah, I think it is great. You know, I think the other thing that's really interesting is you know, we're uh, certainly aware of the fact that adults have different learning preferences, learning styles. And what's really interesting beyond this, uh, this particular slide is the fact that, you know, those training programs that individuals rated highest were the ones that really satisfied their own needs, right? That they had a preference for a certain learning style. And if they had that learning style, then they typically felt the program was more successful and it had better outcomes. I think what that means is, it's, you know, it's a little bit of, we've got to fish with the right fly, if that's the right analogy, right? But we've, we've got to be, have the right method to uh, really tune into and, and engage that learner. And that may mean using multiple uh, facets, which is the blended learning. If we think about the top four or five here, if we combine those, we have a really powerful offering. Absolutely. So I think let's, um, we have a chat that we'd like to have everyone respond to. So if you haven't already set your chats to, you know, all presenters and uh, participants, we'd love you to do that. But, you know, if I think about this question, you know, what are the greatest challenges your organization experienced over the past year? And I just think, so feel free to start, you know, chatting and sharing those in the in the chat, if you would. What I would say is that from our perspective at SRG, almost all of our programs included some instructor-led component. In fact, in fact, I recall Ray being in Europe when the pandemic started hit, and that was probably the last uh, instructor-led training we did for, for one of our global clients. And we had to adapt very quickly. So like everyone else, we started leveraging Zoom. Later on, we started also leveraging Teams. We started leveraging all the video assets. But for us, it was really, we had to pivot very, very quickly. We're in the training business. But um, what I'm curious about is just kind of what challenges you saw in your own organizations uh, as you had to adapt to COVID and how you were training your teams. Yeah, so love to get the responses, you know, just thinking about, uh, what that looked like for the participants we have today. And just while you're thinking about that, I know Richard had a question about uh, why the adaptive learning uh, on the previous slide was so low, right? Adaptive learning being a great way to tailor that. And I would say that that's probably more a research artifact that 
either people didn't know what to think of that or when they thought about their other top priorities, that was just one that wasn't as high as the others. Not to say it's not uh, you know, equally important, but just didn't rate uh, on the, the breakout. Right. So we're seeing in the chat here the change from mostly in-person training to virtual training. I think that you know was a, was a major shift, especially if you were used to running in-person workshops. Uh, sometimes the materials you're using may have already been designed for virtual. If they weren't designed for virtual, you had to build in a lot of interaction. So uh, someone here is writing Zoom fatigue. I think that we mm-hmm. went through a lot of Zoom and you know, not just all the training was moved to Zoom or a similar platform, but virtually all the meetings and whether those are internal meetings, customer calls, uh, technical type of calls. So we got really used to Zoom. I think everyone's used now to putting on the camera. You know, a lot of people were a little bit camera shy before. Uh, Ray, we're seeing a lot of great responses here. Um, I'll, I'll comment on one more, learning ILT to a blended learning approach. So blended work, learning works best. ILT is great. It's still pulled, I think, number three on the bar chart we saw a minute ago. But yeah, making that shift is uh, hard. Um, what else are we seeing here? Lack of yeah. skills to, go ahead. No, I, I would just echo that, that I think what we saw a lot of organizations do is just take their ILT and try to use the same slides and the same instructional design and put it on Zoom. And, you know, we even saw organizations trying to do, you know, four, six hour uh, virtual training sessions. And boy, talk about, you know, Zoom fatigue versus, uh, you know, rethinking the instructional design, chunking those up into modules where they can do some work in between and they can also get back to their daily work or uh, have a little time to digest. And we know that adults learn better through uh, space learning anyway. Um, so I think that is a real challenge. And then also, as Susan mentioned, having the skills to facilitate virtual, it is different and it takes uh, a bit to learn how to engage the audience and how to call people out and really get them to, to lean into the sessions and not you know multitask, as you said earlier. So. I think this is uh, really interesting responses. The other one Charlie mentions is, you know, measuring effectiveness, which is always a challenge for training. But, you know, especially virtually at the end of the session, did they like it is one thing, but are they actually applying the skills? Are we creating real behavior change? Are we producing business results? And, you know, how are we going to measure that? And we'll probably move on because just in the interest of time, but Susan had another interesting point here that she just mentions that much better appreciation for instructional design so that when you, to echo your point, Ray, when you're going to deliver virtually, you really have to think about instructional design. And we ended up running a number of train the trainers for our licensed clients on virtual delivery, just they had been so um, set in, in, you know, instructor-led training, their facilitators were uncomfortable. So we actually ended up running uh, some sessions on that. So let's, let's, let's move on in the interest of time, but Really appreciate everyone's uh, involvement in the chat, and we will have another opportunity for some more participant engagement as well as questions at the end of the session. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so we're going to move on and really talk about that that training experience. And I think really the instructional design comes right into play there, just as we were talking about how do we create that engaging experience so that we get the participation, we get the application, uh, and so they take away you know something positive from that. So, Norma, let's talk a little bit about, you know, some of the options uh, that we could look at. And, you know, I would even think ILT, VILT, you know, we could probably combine in the middle, middle column, but maybe you could walk us through this chart. Sure. And I'll just mention that the CLX is, again, our internal uh, naming convention for collaborative learning experience. So you can think of the last column as collaborative learning. 
But when we think about this, this is a chart that's updated. E-learning has gotten better over time. Uh, Micro-learning, I remember when e-learning used to be, you know, 30-minute videos and people had, it had very, very low completion rates. And what we found out is that people, and I think we all found out together, much uh, better appreciated and valued micro-learning where you did, you know, two to five-minute snippets. You can kind of stitch those together and can, in learning tracks. Uh, 24-7, so the ability to access anytime. That was really important for a lot of learners. Millennials became very, very comfortable. I think today all of us are comfortable, you know, accessing platforms. Uh, you know, VILT and ILT obviously offer the live facilitator. Uh, exercises and assignments are, you know, very much a part of any kind of workshop, the discussions and the peer-to-peer -peer learning. Uh, you know, if we go back to the e-learning column, you get the gamification. Um you know, I remember going several years back, I was a little bit cynical because I'm not a millennial, as you could probably tell, but I actually found that the gamification works with millennials, works across all audiences. It's something we're seeing a high level of engagement around in, in missions, uh, you know, the ability to customize uh, and when we think and, and scalability. And so when you think about, you know, it's a little bit like when you go to the auto dealer and they're showing, you know, three different models and they're showing, you know, kind of the check marks, we transformed uh, our delivery uh, from, you know, being a combination of ILT, VLT, and e-learning into really a collaborative learning ex experience. And we think that it does a great job of checking all of these boxes because it's combining the best of both, but not simply by saying, hey, we're going to do VILT and then we're going to do e-learning or, or, or vice versa. We're going to flip the classroom, but really integrating these into a learning experience. And that's why we landed on the, on the, on the internal name that we've gone to market with, which is collaborative learning experience. We really think it is experiential learning. And Ray can do a really nice job, I think, of breaking that down a little bit more. This is a graphic we often use just to explain the various components, you know, to our clients or to anyone who's interested in learning more about what is it, you know, what, what does collaborative learning actually look like? Right. And, you know, I, <clears throat> I think just to pick up on your comment, <clears throat> Norman, that, really CLX, the collaborative learning experience, takes both the e-learning and what's, <clears throat> excuse me, good about virtual and combines it. So we start with micro-learning. So that may be videos, uh, you know, online where they can consume the, the knowledge and, and the content uh, individually, asynchronously. Uh, but then we're bringing that together into some sort of facilitated session uh, to be able to discuss. So we have them go through the, the program. They're actually then applying those skills. Uh, so the skill application through what we call missions and field work. So being able to maybe it's submit a call plan or maybe uh, providing a list of common objections and then really acknowledging and clarifying and, and uh, thinking about how they're gonna respond to those. So they can do those exercises in the platform. And I think what's really valuable is then in the discussion and collaboration, they can see each other's work. They can actually learn from each other and we can share the best practices that are coming out of those discussions. And those of you who are facilitators, I'm sure you've had that. You get those aha moments in, in your live sessions where there's real great sharing. There's some uh, you know, huge key takeaways that are, that are being brought to bear, uh, but then they're gone, right? As soon as we walk out of the classroom, it's like, oh, we kind of lose that. Well, here they're captured and we can go back, we can refer to those. We can have those discussion boards where they're posing questions that are coming up. We had a, a very large tech client 
that was really struggling with price commoditization. And so we had a whole discussion going about how people were responding, what they're doing today, what resources they're bringing to bear. And to me, that's learning in the spirit or in the context of real work uh, and makes it that much more applicable. So we look at the discussion, they have access to all the tools and resources. So again, instead of, hey, here's an email with a, a bunch of additional resources, or you're trying to find that toolkit, it's all hosted in the same place. It provides that landing. And there are a number of different platforms that, that support this type of thing. And then the final piece that you mentioned, Norman, was around gamification and the idea that just a simple ability to track progress. And in this case, you know, we're providing points and badges at incremental uh, points as they go along for completing activities. And boy, I was really surprised and impressed to see just how competitive the teams were uh, to you know, go through those activities to make sure they're on that leaderboard, uh, to make sure they're getting the points that are associated versus you know, sometimes you finish a program, you don't really know if, uh, if they took anything away or if they're applying it. In this case, it's, it's very measurable. So I'll just pause there. Any, anything else you'd add, uh, Norman, to this? I'll add a little bit more later as I just kind of share my personal experience with one of our larger industrial clients. I know you large launched this initially with a very large tech client. You were talking about the pricing. I do want to comment, though, just briefly about the leaderboard. What I found is that, you know, the participants are very anxious to complete the, the work. There is that level of com competition between them, but it's a friendly competition because everyone can win. It's not like there's only one winner. The, the goal here is really course completion with everyone earning the badges. And we'll share with you kind of a credly badge that we issue at the end of the program. But it also creates a high level of visibility to the management and to the program sponsors. And so they're not really wondering if people are kind of tuning in or not tuning in. They can see real time where everyone's at in the program and quickly course correct. So you're not kind of, you know, six or seven weeks into a program and realizing that someone's, you know, trailing behind, it gives really, you know, real-time feedback to the program sponsors and managers and provides an opportunity for course correction early in the process. And I think that's been a major reason we're seeing such high completion rates. Absolutely. And we'll talk about that a little bit in, in a, a story, that, a case study that we'll share. But just to give a, a, a quick example, I mean, one of the things that uh, I think is really valuable is having a very welcoming uh, user interface and a way that they can get in there and they kind of see where everything is. It's very intuitive, so they don't need to be trained on the platform, uh, so to speak, but it's easy to navigate. Everything's there in one place, as we mentioned. Uh, and we believe in a, a process that releases the content over time. So instead of going in and saying, okay, well, you know, here's six hours of training, uh, we release it over a, a series of weeks. And so each uh, week or period of weeks, they have an opportunity to complete those particular lessons, uh, you know, watch those videos and activities, uh, and then get the badge for that particular module and move on to the next. So uh, you see across the top here, we have prospecting, planning the call, developing needs, presenting solutions, et cetera. Um, so those are, you know, key modules that they would typically go through in a selling skills program. Uh, and those would be released over a period of, uh, you know, six or seven weeks in this case. And then for each of those, this is the gaining commitment module, it would break out those orange bars, we call accordions, you know, expand and would have a combination of videos, uh, they would have assignments, they would have content tiles that are elaborating on that. So again, they have all of that available 
um, at, at their fingertips. And that's where they would actually do the assignments and apply those to real life accounts, right? That they're doing, they're working on as they go through the program. So a nice way to kind of lay it out, to navigate uh, and to engage the learning as they go along. Yeah, Ray, one comment I would add to this, I think has really resulted in the high completion rates is that you mentioned the content is being metered out, whether that's a sales coaching program, a comprehensive selling skills program, you know, a selling to key executives program. So the content might vary. But if you look under where it says gaining commitment, you know, Ray mentioned this is, you know, the release for that. They're getting an email in advance, kind of just sharing with them. Here's this week's, um, you know, uh, a module that we're going to be covering on gaining commitment. But if you look underneath that, it gives you an estimated time and the number of points. So by by spacing this out, it's very clear if you, you know, if you release a program like this over a series, let's say of six weeks, I think this is a six-week program, that the time commitment's about 60 minutes. The point total is about 310 po- uh, points for a program that has roughly 1,800 points. So another benefit here is that we're, we're, we're chunking out the learning and it's becoming very manageable for participants to really understand roughly what time of type of time commitment is going to take over the next week and also how many points they would achieve to their point total. So I think that's just another element that we've found to be really beneficial for the learners. Yeah. And, you know, Norman, there are a a few chats coming in and again, really appreciate the the engagement and collaboration here, right, among our participants. Mm -hmm. But uh, as Charlie mentions, metering out the content builds anticipation. Mm -hmm. Uh, You know, everybody kind of likes that that opportunity. Oh, what's coming next? As opposed to, oh, my goodness, you know, I have eight eight hours or 10 hours of training I have to finish. Um, So I think that's nice. It's also very manageable. It's like, oh, if I keep up, you know, maybe it's one or two hours a week. But that's a reasonable amount to, uh, you know, lean in and and engage in that program. Uh, And they like that. Uh, Christine mentions it's, you know, spaced or drip fed learning. So learning over time. And I think the other thing that's so important here is it allows them to apply it in real time when they go back and, you know, go, go to their, their day job. So uh, that idea of learning in the flow of work is so important that they can apply this to accounts they're working on and come back and talk to the group, right. uh, When they get that back. Um, So a couple of specific questions. Again, we said we take these as we go along and we will leave uh, time at the end as well, but Charlie mentions, do we incorporate texting Text-based learning is is popular and effective. You know, I think that's evolving. Um, This particular platform allows for mobile engagement, so they can certainly engage that way. Um, Haven't gone down that path, you know, specifically uh, with with text assignments or, you know, using that, but they can use their mobile devices as, as ways to engage, certainly. All right, so let's talk about, you know, some of the other programs uh, that, that, uh, you know, we've deployed in this manner and, and kind of the evolution there, Norman, maybe you could, uh, just talk through how we're deploying some of these programs. Sure. So, the, you know, these are just representative SRG offerings. Obviously we, you know, we have a whole suite of sales offerings, the newest one being, you know, signed to key executives. We have the high impact sales manager offerings, as Ray noted, we have a book on this kind of a synopsis of the programs. The book itself is not training, but it's a nice synopsis of the program for us. The evolution has been is, you know, we're, as I said, we're in the training business. Obviously, we're a sales training company, and we had to adapt to you know the new reality associated with um, with COVID. And you know, basically for us, ILT training had been off the table for over a year. And so, like a lot of our you know, like a lot of you and a lot of our um, clients, we we immediately went to VILT. But we also had all the training already, the e-learning, the micro learning assets. 
And so we had already started some of this work. This wasn't just because of the pandemic, but it really accelerated our work in terms of how do we combine all these assets into collaborative learning? We had a client that w- wanted to sponsor that work, a large tech client that raised on a lot of work with, and it worked really, really well there. And so over time, we've just migrated all the programs to collaborative learning. It's not to say if someone wants traditional instructor-led training, we can do that on any of these programs. Someone wants e-learning, we could do it on these programs. But what we're recommending, at least our lead solution today is collaborative learning, because we think it creates better outcomes. We'll talk about why it creates better outcomes in the next section. But that's just been our evolution. And you know, we started with kind of our most popular programs, but over time, we've been migrating all of our programs to the collaborative learning uh, experience. Yeah, it's great. And obviously, we'd be happy to talk more about any of these or, or share some samples of you know how those are working. But uh, we've seen some good success, and you know, I want to make sure we we cover a couple of uh, you know case studies, and then also leave time for uh, some stories and and questions at the end. So let's talk about you know why collaborative learning uh, does produce better uh, outcomes. But you know, first again, we'd like to get feedback from the group. Um, like to understand, you know, what design elements we've talked about a lot so far, but what design elements are most important uh, for you all as you're considering your future initiatives? And uh, love to hear from the group here. You know, kind of what's what's hot, what what are what's top of mind. I know there were a number of comments about the space learning and pulsing out the content and even you know text learning. But what are you all incorporating? Whether you're a sales leader or a a learning and development or sales enablement professional, what are you seeing as uh, really important to incorporate in your future training? And I think the key for us is this is an opportunity for us to learn as well. So we, you know, our customers make us smarter by understanding what design elements are important. We're really interested in design elements that you think improve behavior change. That's really what we're focused on is improving how teams engage with their customers or how managers engage with their teams. So I'm seeing quick bites of learning that are accessible. So this idea of not necessarily just kind of drinking from a fire hose, but chunking out the learning and having it in bite-sized pieces. So that makes a lot of sense. Uh, Leanne, thank you. Yeah. And I think we did, you know, touch on a, a, a number of these as we went along, um, Oh, that's interesting. Charlie mentions virtual giving access to experts uh, Mm -hmm. with an industry leader. And, you know, I think that's so important that we can access resources that might have been prohibitive, right? If we have to fly somebody in for a one hour keynote and you're paying, you know, thousands or tens of thousands of dollars for that. But if you can get them, you know, on on a virtual call uh, or virtual meeting, maybe we can access some of those resources. Same thing with your own leaders within your company, right, to be able to access them. And we suggest that even in your your team meetings, boy, if we can get somebody who's doing it right, maybe from a, a different division doing it right, I mean, you know, has, has had a success, they want to share from another division or maybe another sales leader, bring them into your, your team meetings. Let's leverage those best practices as well, as, as well. And to add to that in collaborative learning, at least in the platform we're using, we have an ask the expert area where we can comment, we can bring in other people to comment, you know, to go and find the right... Uh, part of that expertise is really the peer-to-peer learning because quite often when people pose a question, someone else in their organization has encountered that same challenge. So we're seeing a lot of peer-to-peer learning as part of that expertise, uh, newer learners, more experienced learners. Melissa's mentioning about the hands-on um, uh, aspect. We, we, we think that the cohort sessions are really good for hands-on learning. 
those cohort sessions, you know, depending on the geography of the participants, if it's an inside sales team, could also be run in person in a conference room as as people return to work. So there there are multiple ways to leverage collaborative learning. Um, again, I think this idea that SMEs are easier to access. So Ray, anything yeah. else you're picking up on there? You know, I'll just add to that leveraging SMEs and, and uh, you know, whether it's subject matter experts or, or super sellers or, you know, leaders. One of the things that a platform that, as we've been talking about, allows is posting videos from others within the organization. And we found great success with these voice of the seller videos, as we're, we're calling them. Uh, and the idea is let's go out and interview a few of the folks that are doing things in, incredibly well or, or demonstrating those best practices. We edit those together into maybe a three or four minute little synopsis and say, well, let's talk about some negotiation tactics. What's working out there? Or let's talk about call planning and research. And why is it so important to understand those aspects before your sales meeting? And now it's not you know, a facilitator or a third party, but it's their own peers or their own experts within the organization you know, sharing those. And even the leaders, and we love to have those sponsor videos where they're kicking it off with a two, three minute video saying, this is why it's important. This is why we're investing in you all and why we want you to pay, pay attention. And I think we can do that so much easier these days, You know, even just using Zoom or Teams to do a video interview and then do some editing uh, create some really great kind of just-in-time content. So let's let's uh, kind of wrap this section up. We'll, we'll talk about the you know why collaborative learning, why we're so excited about it. Um, we do think it improves the training experience and outcomes. And an example of that with a very large tech client that we deploy, we actually went from ILT to VILT to a collaborative experience over the course of about six months. Um, you know, partly because we needed to scale that program rapidly and partly because we couldn't travel anymore. So it just was no longer feasible. Um, what's really interesting is the collaborative learning experience participants actually rated the program even higher than our ILT uh, sessions. And the ILT sessions were some of the highest that we've had. <laughs> so, so it was not like it was a, a low bar, but uh, they, they thought the collaborative experience was even better. So it did improve that from an experience perspective. Uh, it allows you, you know, some of the same things as e-learning, but to uh, train a dispersed team uh, to reduce the travel costs uh, and really get that uh, scalable solution. And then the other component that I think is really important is that real-world application, the space learning, as we talked about, and the ability to learn from each other by sharing their examples and seeing the work that others are doing. So, you know, we think all of these help create not just better satisfaction and engagement, but ultimately better outcomes in the program. So, Norman, I know we wanted to share, we've talked to, about a few of the clients, but you know, these are some of the quotes that we've received, and I know you've been facilitating and, and managing a very large client deployment. Can you talk a little bit about you know, some of the, the firsthand experience you've had? Uh, yeah, for with, me, it was really an eye-opener because what it did is, you know, been, I've been familiar with flipped classrooms for a period of time where we might do micro-learning and then, and then have people kind of learn the concepts and focus the workshop on application and over time, the reinforcement on skills adoption. But this idea of launching, this was with a very, very large industrial client. So we kind of proved out that it worked in tech, but I wasn't sure it was really going to be responsive in kind of the non-technology world. And what I found is that the ease of use and the application was great. People immediately engaged. 
And what I would say is that the quality of work, so I facilitated a lot of live sessions. And let's say I was covering an objection handling model, and then I would call on people to to basically practice that or, or, or role play that. And they would do an okay job in the classroom and we've kind of caught them on the fly. It's a great learning experience. But the level of thought and the quality of responses by giving people the opportunity to really apply, and we use uh, in, in our um, platform, we use missions and they apply it in a mission and then they actually submit, whether that was a price objection, too similar to my current solution, no budget, you know, they were coming overcome these objections with really well-crafted responses. Their peers were saying they were commenting on them. Another aspect of video is throughout the program, there are opportunities for people to upload videos. When I lead the Friday cohort session, I often feature some of the videos. I call it an internal academy awards and mm -hmm. feature some of their videos where they're actually demonstrating the skill. So I just felt that the level of skill application went way up by giving people the opportunity to think as opposed to catching them on the fly. And so the quality work was amazingly high. And then what I'm doing in the sessions I'm running, I'm actually cutting and pasting their work mm -hmm. into the um, cohort session and then letting the people who did the work comment and invite comment, you know, invite uh, comments from their peers. So you could probably tell I'm super excited about it because I'm just seeing it firsthand. And I'm like thinking I'm on my third group with this particular client. And we got an email this morning uh, they budget, you know, I think their their fiscal year starts October 1. They have a bunch of other groups and other programs who want to put on this platform. So I think these participant quotes are obviously important. They give you some participant feedback. And what I'm just sharing with you is my experience facilitating one of these sessions. Yeah, that's great. So I think some, some really uh, interesting uh, case studies and stories to share. So want to make sure we have a little bit of time for questions. So again, please feel free to chat your Q&A in uh, if you do have questions. I'll just share, you know, this particular example. Um, we uh, provided a badge, a Credly badge for completion, and that's also a little bit easier to track if we can see, hey, have they done all the, the assignments? Have they gotten their badges? Have they hit a threshold of points? And then they uh, are able to qualify for a digital badge. Uh, that they can share on LinkedIn and and have on their signature, et cetera. And you know what was really interesting, our pilot group was actually over ninety percent uh, completion, ninety three percent, just fantastic for an online program. And overall, and we took uh, over three hundred and fifty sellers through that, we were receiving over eighty percent completion rate, which was much higher than any other program. Uh, you know that the, the this particular client and others had seen. You know of this fashion. So uh, very pleased to see. Uh, how people are leaning in. So let's cover, you know, a couple of uh, key takeaways, Norman, and then we'll turn it back over uh, and see if there are any additional questions. Right. And I'm seeing a few questions in the in the chat right now. So these are pretty uh, self-explanatory, but we shared from the experience from training industry, learners believe applied experiential practice are the best delivery methods. We saw a lot about that in terms of on-the-job training and coaching. Preferred training methods, methods uh, impact training effectiveness. So we, we also saw some research on that. Blended learning for all of us has become the new norm. Uh, we, you know, Virtually everyone has shifted to some level of virtual deployment. And from our perspective, as we shared with you kind of the key theme, and we'll share some resources through training industry following just a little bit more about the platform and a couple of blog posts that Ray and I are just kind of sharing some real world experiences on collaborative learning. So I hope we didn't push too tight against our overall time allocation here, but we'd love to take some questions. And uh, if we don't get to your question or you just want to ask some questions individually, feel free to um, 
contact us, info at salesreadinessgroup.com or on our 800 number. We will absolutely get right back to you. So uh, Elizabeth, are there some questions you want us to take or do you want us to take the ones out of the chat? We'll, we'll defer to you. Awesome. Yeah, of course. All right. So we do have question, time for maybe one or two um, questions here. Um, yeah, and this one from the chat from Charlie looks like a good one to, to start with. Uh, how has uh, what clients are charged and will pay has changed as we've moved to virtual? Are budgets bigger, smaller, production costs more or less? How do you navigate all of that? I think the budgets, from my perspective, have stayed about the same. I think that for the type of B2B companies that we focus on, their business actually has done remarkably well during the, the pandemic. What I would say is that uh, in some cases, these types of training delivery it, are, are less expensive. There certainly aren't the facilitation travel costs that are associated with the programs. Also, for distributed teams, there aren't the travel costs and the lodging costs associated with all the participants. And just from an overall cost perspective, uh, uh, collaborative learning is probably a little bit less expensive than instructor-led training, but I don't think that should really be the driver. I think the driver gets back to the uh, point we heard from negotiation as I logged in a little bit earlier from, from Jeff, which is it's really about the value. And really crafting the program that creates the best value, but just directly responding to Charlie's questions. I've not seen a material change in budgets. Mm -hmm. Awesome. All right. Thanks, Norman. How about this question from Janine? How do you monitor level the level of engagement in a collaborative learning environment? Sure, I can take a shot at that one. And, you know, I think one, it uh, the platform itself allows us to do that based on the point totals and, and the uh, progress week to week. We're doing a lot of reporting behind the scenes to see if people are completing the activities and even things like engaging in a discussion, right? They can receive points for that. So we can see just how uh, often they're participating and that engagement level. Um, and I'll just mention there was another chat uh, question about the platform and I, I will give a shout out to Intrepid uh, we use Intrepid by Vital Source as our collaborative learning platform. Certainly, there are other options out there, but uh, that that's been a, they've been a very good partner for us, and and we we really appreciate some of the features they bring. And that's one of the things is we're we're tracking that week over week uh, to see are they doing the assignments, and in some cases even creating projects where they have to comment on other peers' assignments to get credit. So they're getting points for collaborating, if you will. Uh, and this idea of, of even sub-cohort groups or project groups that are uh, participating. So I think they provide you a lot of uh, nice opportunities to be able to um, facilitate that and encourage that. What I would add to Ray's comment is not just the point total and the badges, because you could actually get that by almost submitting any, any assignment you know, in, in terms of a mission, but the transparency and the fact that everything's open to the peers and the moderator and the key sponsors uh, as I was mentioned before, leads to much higher quality responses. So we're seeing not just that people are engaged through completion rates and point totals, but we can actually go in and see the quality of the of the work they're doing. I think that, as I was sharing, the quality has been surprisingly high, and I think it's really a tribute to people's ability to think and then apply the skills that they're learning as opposed to having to just apply kind of on the spot in a facilitated session. Awesome. 
Thank you. Um, okay, so Winston is wondering, uh, can you talk a little bit about how the peer-to-peer -peer interactions work? Go ahead, Ray. Yeah, so as I just mentioned briefly, um, the opportunity to create a mission or an assignment and then say, okay, not only do you have to submit yours, but you have to go review and comment on or use a rubric, if you will, uh, to evaluate one of your peers or two of your peers. Um, it, it creates that opportunity and they learn both from being now a coach uh, and also from seeing others, uh, other assignments. So there's some great opportunities to be able to leverage that uh, as they go along. And what I would add to that is that even if the, 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 the mission doesn't call for that, what I'm saying is that people, let's say, I'll go back to my overcoming objections. They'll write like, great response, Ray. I, I, I hadn't taken this approach before. I'm going to try that on my next. So we're finding that there's a social aspect to this where even if people aren't instructed to comment because they can comment or they'll put in a like or they'll write a, you know, a brief note. So the more we encourage that, the facilitator goes in and also makes comments, it starts to feed on itself that people are actually commenting on each other's work. And whether that's a formal part of the exercise or just an informal part of the platform, we're seeing a lot of peer-to-peer -peer interaction. And that carries over to the uh, cohort sessions because those are being facilitated live. Typically, we do them once a week after people have done the work. And when people are sharing what they've done, they're getting a lot of questions from their peers and comments from their peers. The market is changing, making sales skills more important than ever before. How to transform your team into big performers? If you want the answer, plus free resources for podcast listeners, visit salesreadinessgroup.com slash podcast. <laughs>